If you missed the first two seasons of the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast, we covered some great players and great games in season one, and we redrafted all the drafts from 1996 to 2010 in season two. This is season three. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. My village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network and theringer.com, where we are covering all the NBA craziness right now. We're also launching two new podcasts this week. One is called Recipe Club with Dave Chang. The other is called Gamblers. It's a narrative podcast by Dave Hill. Hope you check that out. Season three of the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast continues. I hope you heard episode one of season three, Alan Iverson. This is episode two. My name is Bill Simmons. This is the Book of Basketball. The Book of Basketball 2.0, Julius Serving. Julius Serving played 16 seasons with the best ones happening in the ramshackle ABA where nobody played defense, the games were never televised, and they barely made it through a final season with six teams. He couldn't win an NBA title until Moses Malone showed up to save him in Philly. He wasn't as good as Kareem, Bird, Magic, or Jordan, his four peers that mattered most. For the all-time forwards, his numbers weren't as good as LeBron, Durant, Malone, or Dirk. He wasn't a very good defender. He couldn't shoot past 17 feet. In fact, when his friend Peter Vesey once praised a rookie named Michael Jordan to an unimpressed Julius, a frustrated Vesey told him, Julius, he's you with a jump shot. I get it. Now throw all of it out. Let's talk about Dr. J. Stolen by the doctor. Yes, he's got it. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. Let's talk about one of the most influential players ever, along with Mike and Kuzi, Russell Elgin, Wilt Bird, Magic Jordan, LeBron, and Curry. Those 11 guys changed professional basketball since World War II. He single-handedly carried the failing ABA for three extra years. Irving on the run, maneuvers. He even carried the fish that saved Pittsburgh, which includes the scene where Julius takes a date to the park and dunks for his date. I had to learn to walk and lean on air. I had to learn to listen to the rhythm inside my body. I had to learn to push myself. Push myself, push myself, push myself. The best date scene ever, I think, in any sports movie. This happened. For every kid in the 70s, he wasn't a basketball player. 
He was the basketball player. He was the one that truly mattered to us. In the 50s and 60s, Elgin Baylor and Bill Russell turned a horizontal sport into a vertical one. And then the artists started showing up. Earl the Pearl, Connie Hawkins, Pete Maravich, the guys who just seemed different. Doc grabbed the torch. He explored the limits of gravity and individual expression. He ignited the playgrounds. He inspired the likes of Thompson and Neek and MJ. He stamped his ingenuity on everything we're watching today. And if he never showed up, would basketball have never become more fun? Of course not. This always would have happened. But it's like Apple with home computers. It's like Bill James with sports statistics. It's like Lorne Michaels with sketch comedy. It's like Brian Koppelman and David Levine with the poker boom. Maybe the seeds for a revolution were in place, but somebody needed the foresight to water those revolutionary seeds for basketball. That person was Doc. There's no other answer. His glory has happened in the ABA with little record of what happened. Barely any fans, barely any televised games. Few athletes ever have been described in such glowing, you had to be there terms. It's like hearing our friend William Goldman try to describe watching Brando in his prime on Broadway and ultimately failing. But in the process of failing, he was so passionate about it that the point was still made. Dr. J on the baseline. For the basket count. Dr. J underneath. Unbelievable. Even the ABA's players and coaches revered Doc. They implicitly understood that he was the league's meal ticket, the one player who could never be undercut, clotheslined, elbowed, or injured in any way. Julius had to be protected at all times. His open court dunks had such a galvanizing effect on crowds that Kentucky coach Hubie Brown, whatever happened to that guy, created a no dunks for Doc rule at his own home games. Why? Because he knew any exciting Dr. J dunk would actually turn the crowd against Kentucky. This happened. This was a thing. The man that has turned the slam dunk into an art. At six foot six for the New York Nets, the fabulous Dr. J. Julius Irvin. Everything crested with Doc's dunk in the 76 slam dunk contest, which remains one of the single most thrilling basketball moments of all time. And that sends everyone really. It almost caused a fucking riot. This actually happened. We'll get to it. And if you're wondering about Doc Sealing as a basketball player, his five-game stretch in the 1976 finals, which Brian Koppelman vaguely remembers, ranks among the greatest ever submitted at any level. 45 and 12, 48 and 14, 31 and 10, 34 and 15, 31 and 19 against a loaded Nuggets team with none other than Hall of Famer Bobby Jones defending him, who's only the best defender of that entire decade. He never reached those crazy heights in the NBA, even if he did lead Philly to four finals. He averaged a 37 and five in the 77 finals. He won the 1981 MVP. He made five first team All-NBAs. He remained the league's biggest draw. He submitted four all-time iconic plays. We'll get to those, hold on. Just the NBA portion of his career easily, easily propels him into the Hall of Fame. And when Doc faded a little bit at the end, which he did, he never disgraced himself like so many others. He was always good to the bitter end, even when he was old. Here's the problem. Unless you actually remember seeing him, like me and Koppelman, 
It's too easy to dismiss what he did, especially if you're determining how he would succeed now in 2019 when we play basketball differently. Doc couldn't consistently drain 18-footers, much less threes. He wasn't as powerful or impactful as LeBron. He couldn't score as easily as Durant. He wasn't as creative as Luka. He wasn't nearly as much of a freak as Giannis. Remember, in the 70s, we considered Doc a freak. Giannis is actually really a freak. He might be an alien. Oh, I can tell you this. I was young. I was there. So was Koppelman. And Julius Irving remains one of the most gripping, terrifying, unforgettable players I ever saw in person. When he filled the lane on a break, your blood raced. When he careened toward a big man and cocked the basketball above his head with those gigantic freak show Freddy Krueger fingers, your heart pounded. When he jumped into a sea of bodies, you always assumed he'd hang the longest, that he'd figure out how to get two points. Almost always he did. Irving soaring up, sailing down with the defensive board and leading the break the distance, Julius Irving! Jordan is the greatest ever, but when he showed up in 1984, we compared him to Doc constantly for the next few years. Oh, he tried to show Michael a little hang time. That's how great Doc was. He was the 1.0 version of the GOAT. Michael hung right up there with him. And one signature Julius play never got enough acclaim. The Sixers would clear out for him on the left side with Doc's defender playing five feet off, forcing him to the middle as always. This is how everyone defended him. It's 89-84. Doc would take the bait. He would dribble into the paint like he was setting up a baby hook. And then, before he could blink, he'd explode toward the rim. He would grow plastic man arms. And he would spin the ball one-handed high off the backboard at some crazy angle. Sixers, and they get inside. He did it easily and beautifully, like a sudden gust of 110-mile-an-hour wind like nothing you'd ever seen. Watch this fantastic move by the doctor. His opponents would shake their heads in disbelief. The fans would moan, followed by five seconds of, did you just see that, murmurs. Joyous in the air, palming over the right hand, floating, reaching, and spinning it in. Incredible. What a play. And Doc would jog back up the court like nothing ever happened. Classy as always, just another two points. One of a kind. For that and many, many, many other reasons, I have him ranked 19th in my Hall of Fame pyramid. He's still in the top 20. Someday we'll be dead and we won't be able to defend him, Brian Koppelman. They'll be using some of his numbers against him. But right now we can defend him. We have this video. My friend Brian Koppelman is here. He was chosen very carefully because... You grew up in Nassau. You you got to see this. I did. Uh, Even as you're selling him right now, it's it's hard to put words to the cultural impact that this guy had at that time. It's not just that as a basketball player, he was so exciting. It's that somehow, because of how he looked, the way he played, the way he carried himself— the need that the ABA had for him, the freaking colors of the Nets uniform, the ball, the whole thing created in him something much larger than life. And when you think about that, he wasn't on TV that much, except if he like made an appearance on some kid's morning show or someone drew a cartoon of him, yeah. you couldn't really see him play. He was a new kind of cool in a way that Connie Hawkins, because of what happened to him, couldn't be. Because Pearl, even though he was that in Baltimore, he's playing in Baltimore. When Pearl came to New York, he stopped playing like that. Get stripped to fit away a in bit. Yeah. with Clyde. 
but but Doc got got the money. He got paid to go to the ABA. The league, as you say, propped him up, and the culture was suddenly ready because it had been primed to follow this combination of jazz and athleticism and to soar with him. Because the way we thought about it, and partially because it wasn't televised all the time, your friends and you would lower the hoop and you would be talking about Doc and trying to dunk and trying to spin and trying to take off from the free throw line. And I mean, I had a book up. So like I only saw him play in person probably five times at when, because we were Knicks fans, right? But I'd get my dad to somehow take me to the NASA Coliseum to watch Doc in one of those couple seasons that he played for the Nets. Um, and it was incredible. But of course, when you saw him in person, you saw him play a whole game. You saw that weird jump shot with the arms kind of out. Right. There would only be a few of those crazy plays a game, but he did win a, cha- you know, he won at every level. He won two championships with the Nets. Right. Yeah. Two with the Nets and he won an NBA title. Yep. And I was looking, I have a book, Bill, that I have carried with me. So this book called The Legend of Dr. J. Yeah. I sent you a picture the other day. It came out in 75. Now think about that. Nobody cared about the ABA. Yeah. There was a book called The Legend of Dr. J. In 75, a year before he came to the NBA. And I had that book as a, I was nine years old in 75. I took that book with me to college, the same copy of that book to the first apartment after college. To, like, I still have it. That's what that guy, man, I still, I, I knew when you were like, do you want to do this podcast? I said to Amy, hey, can you, where's that Dr. J book? She's like, just where it's been in every apartment we've ever lived in. Like, <laughs> it's right on that shelf. Right. And um, it, his dominance, his ability to, he also carried himself, as you say, so elegantly that I don't care about the efficiency numbers. I don't care about PER. I don't, all these things that people are going to, like you say, hold against him. It doesn't matter because what he had was that rarest thing that Goldman used to talk about. He had what Willie Mays had, which is when Dr. J walked into an arena, the only person you cared about or noticed was Dr. J. Right. And that's not quantifiable. And that's why I wanted to do my book 10, 11 years ago. That's why I wanted to bring this podcast back because I really worry about this stuff. I worry about how people get remembered. Just this week, um, we're taping this in December. There was this video that was going around that this guy in Yahoo did about Bob Cousy and how Bob Cousy was terrible. He wasn't one of the best 200 players and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure you would think that if you just looked at your number, but I think it's really hard to explain impact to people who weren't there. And I'm not doing the, I was there and you weren't card. Well, it's just, also it's just to, hard to explain Well, it. how's this? They had to invent, the reason I mentioned jazz and jazz seems esoteric and I don't, I'm not going to go off on a whole jazz thing, but what those guys like Miles Davis had to do was invent this thing, hard bop at a certain point when they did, that didn't exist before. Yeah. There was jazz music, Duke Ellington, you would write it out, guys would play, a big band would play. And then these people started improvising and they changed this whole thing by taking these tremendous risks. Sometimes they would fail. Sometimes a night would go badly. But what guys like Dr. J and Kuzi had to do was invent a new way to play the game. There weren't shooting videos on Instagram that they could watch. There weren't training devices where you could set up a thing and learn where to keep your elbow and debate, do I want to um, shoot at the apex of my jump like JJ Redick right. or do I want to push off like Steph? Like that didn't exist, right? You were, there was no nationally televised basketball like that. There was one game where your local team would sometimes be on. You had to come up in the streets and figure out what it meant to play this game basketball, how to score, how to win. And like Larry, like these guys had to carve out 
their own new way of playing this game. So, so, so like Koozie was the one behind the back. Pat, he was the first guy who realized what you could do by going behind the back and going to the hoop. Well, even further than that, he was the first guy who felt an obligation to entertain the fans. Sure. Before then, it was just like, we're playing basketball. My team's trying to beat your team. Oh, and there's going to be some people here. And Koozie's like, I'm actually going to entertain these people as I'm doing this. That's not going to show up when we're looking at like his field goal percentage from 1952 when everybody shot 37%. Yeah, because that's, the way they, it was back also, then. that's the way they practiced. Like, I always say this about when people say Jordan, I mean, sometimes now, you know, as you know, people will say Jordan wouldn't be like the best or second best guy in the league right now. But it's like, if Jordan came up at a time when there was a primacy on three-point shooting, he would have just been the best three-point shooter in the league. Because right. that's the he kind of- He would have shot 10 million of them a day. That's the person that he was. Yeah. The person Dr. J was, was a person who was going to be the marquee act of whatever time he chose to play in the league. So going back to the seventies, yeah, rough time for basketball. The worms really starting to turn. The most popular player in the league is Kareem. Who doesn't talk to anybody. Who doesn't talk to anybody. And the fans just couldn't connect to them. And I still think he's the third or fourth best player of all Me time. Too. I'm sure of it. I was there as a kid going to his games and didn't really like watching him. I was amazed by him, but I, I didn't feel a connection to him. Doc's in the ABA. I'm in Boston, no chance of seeing him. All I know is like from a book like this, this right. pro book, basketball handbook, Sports Illustrated. He was on the cover a couple yeah. of times. This is how you would have to, I mean, I want to say we would get these books. You can still find them on eBay. They're worth it actually by this guy. They're unbelievable. Xander, Xander Hollander. Hollander. Yeah. And I brought a couple of them here. They were called the complete handbook of pro basketball. Every one of them. And I, yeah, me too. I had all of them. So I you'd have this, picks. you have Sports Illustrated, you have Sport Magazine. Inside Sports. And Doc what's weird is it's a lot like what wrestling was like I where talk about this all I know you this is don't, this is why you're on the podcast start, I mean you don't want to take this down that road no but it's like but yes a picture of Harley race bleeding was the craziest thing I ever saw and I couldn't see Harley race so he was larger than life or or yeah Rick Flair how was I going to see Rick Flair Isn't in Boston that he lived up to it by the way when yeah, we finally got to see him and he lived up to it but I think Andre was like that too where until he started going on TV more and more, he was just that guy. They used him for big shows and stuff like that. And the legend of what Andre was compared to if you were just actually watching him day in, day out. And for Doc, I'm this kid in Boston. All I know is there's this one guy that this other league has who's amazing. They're not televising the games. They're showing maybe three, four year max. I don't even know. I mean, some of these finals games weren't even televised. It's, yes. and, and he's just happening in this alternate universe, but seems like the most fun player ever. Well, also, I mean, you have to talk about it in the cultural context of he was a black man who chose- That was the next part of this. Right, yeah. no, but he was a black man who was like, I'm gonna wear my hair the way I want to. You know, he and Artis Gilmore were like, look, we're gonna do this thing the way we wanna do this And thing. Larry Keenan, can't, can't uh, leave Of course, Larry. I would never leave, leave Larry out. And Darnell Hillman. Or Super John Williamson. Right. I could go, you know, as many <laughs> of these guys as you wanna go. Yeah, but- uh, the fact that he was playing in this style that he created as a black man in America in a league that he chose to go against the establishment right. at a time the culture was beginning to be ready to celebrate that made everything he did like um, like a story that would be whispered and told from from friend to friend. And you would just to catch a glimpse of a highlight you know, Warner Wolf in New York would somehow have grabbed from somewhere or I don't it'd know. Just who, be duck ducking over somebody. Yeah. Like, what's the, right, what, what is, is this? <laughs> yeah. Or you would see a clip of that, you know, a picture 
yeah. in a magazine of the slam dunk contest yeah. in the ABA. And the way his hand would be on the ball, it, it you know, because he had these gigantic hands, um, it, it seemed like he was a superhero. And they mark, I will say, they knew that. Like they did sell him like he was a superhero. Well, and the black-white thing can't be understated either because you have the 70s. It's the first time real money drifts into the league. You have a lot of underachieving superstars in the NBA. You also have like, it's just kind of the whiter league. It's like the Havlicek, Rick Barry, Dave Cowens kind of yeah, league. Of it's like the white guys. And then the ABA is this freestyle league. They don't play defense, but it's more fun. And there's this very subtle black versus white thing that's going on. And when Doc finally comes into the NBA in 76, joins the Sixers, and that's the quote unquote playground team. And the 77 Blazers are the quote unquote old school fundamental teams. And there's this weird thing that happens where it's like white basketball against black basketball. And it's marketed that way. The Blazers win. And it's like, yes, we won. We defeated this awful style the of establishment. basketball. You're saying the yeah. establishment felt that way. Oh, yeah. The media. But I mean, definitely. no one I knew was rooting for. No, but that was the thing. There was even though under- Walton was no, everyone loved Walton, but nobody was rooting for that team in my world versus the 76ers. The, uh, the 76ers were the underground kind of anti-establishment team, but it's yes. funny how it's perceived by the media. Um, Doc's coming up, especially those last three years and sports illustrated. It can't be understated when you go on that cover. That's the biggest thing that can happen, but it's like the shark and jaws. We, I can't see it. I know it's out there, but it, I know at some point jaws is going to come to the NBA and then finally the merger happens in 76 and well, I, I, the merger happens because of Doc. Yes. He's the only reason. The NBA is like, all right, fuck it. We got to get this, get guy, this in guy in our league. In our this league. guy would be the biggest star in our league. We have to get him. And he was, by the way, the biggest deal in the league when he came until, to the league. Until Bird and Magic. And it was sad. Yeah. And I remember being sad when the Afro came down a little bit in the NBA. Yeah. He took it down. And it was, uh, I remember thinking like, I hope it doesn't, even as a boy, I mean, I was a boy, you know, I was like really 11. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's too bad. I, I hope he plays the way that he played. Well, when we talk about the black-white stuff, think about it. Like they had a no dunking role in college in yeah. the early 70s. And David Thompson, I'm going to say 74, was the first college player that was actually like jumping over people and dunking over people. Crazy. And everybody was like, whoa, this is cool. Should we, we should probably have more of this. So that's shifting right as Doc is becoming this This is making me so in the sad. But, but are you, okay, we talked once about why you can't do David Thompson and George Gervin as a 30 for 30 because there's no footage. There's no footage, but you got to do a book of basketball on that day. On the, on the, you gotta, the last day You got to do a chapter on the last thing because if you think about it- It's 73 for Thompson, 63 for yeah, Gervin. It's a really, it's worth it. You could get the oral story. Like you should do it with a couple guys who yeah. really know about it because no one's done it. And it, it actually belongs in your historical- version because it's like the last legendary day in the NBA that we don't have on film. Well, and all the the ABA had all the fun guys. They reported on, I don't know if you remember, but in that game, on the games that were televised that Sunday, they were reporting on what those two guys did. I remember because I was at the Havlicek game. It was Havlicek's last game. And so I remember watching that at home. Yeah. I would remember the announcers would tell us what Gervin did and what Thompson did. But that was the, this is, I mean, it's hard for people to imagine now, Bill what it was like not to be able to watch these things and to just have them come down like rumor. Well, think about, so we're taping this mid-December. There was a thing, the Pistons played the Bucks, some random league pass game, meaningless game. Bucks are good, Pistons aren't. Giannis and Blake get into a little thing. And it's just on Twitter for two straight hours. There's gifts. There's people weighing in with takes. 
And this is just an average, boring NBA game. You go back into the 70s, it was like Sundays, and that was it. And your local one team. game, and, and your, you local your local team. But sometimes with your local team, it wasn't all the games. It might be like sixty of the games. It might be fifty. And, and then sometimes you have to just listen to it on the radio. Playoffs. You know, one of the tragedies of Doc's career, his three best years are in the ABA. No, really, no video at all of that. And then you go to the NBA. It's right there in the stretch when people really turn on the league. They're tape delaying games. They're not showing playoff games. And a lot of the video for him is gone. When the HBO did the ABA documentary about him. They barely had enough doc footage. And and part of the angle was like the mythical doc was just being better in your head than he actually was because there just wasn't enough footage. And Andre the Giant was a lot like that too, where it what got built up in everybody's head, by the time you see him, you think he's going to dunk like over but the basket. But you did just rattle off those numbers of him and the ABA championship. They're incredible. And he did come to the NBA and lead a team to the finals four times. And he did win an NBA championship. It's like right. Carl Malone never won an NBA championship. No, it's true. Like Doc did, if we're checking the old sort of, now granted, those are like the legacy stats. Like nobody cares about that anymore in the same way. But to me, imagine the pressure on this guy. Like, let's just go back. So like you just said, because let's put ourselves in, in the head. So the whole merger happens basically because we need this guy. It's one, I mean, there were business reasons why the ABA had to do it, but the reason the NBA was willing to do it. He comes to the league with all that pressure. Remember, then, remember the Sports Illustrated cover who he was with? Tell, remind me. Cowens. Right. Perfect. It was Cowens and school. Doc. I remember getting that mail and being like, oh my God, he's here. Right. It's with the, happening. Yeah. With we the, get to watch him. With the cab driver, Dave Cowens. Yeah, cab driver. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Right? I mean, he went yeah. and drove a cab. And the the idea though, that he had to then actually live up to it and he did it like he took the team like you just said he didn't win a lot but he did go to the finals four finals four finals and he won he has a ring so to me that that's a pretty good answer to if because because one thing that the stats don't necessarily talk about is the effect you have on your teammates right it's the thing it's the secret thing that jordan had it's a thing lebron's doing again now that he used to do didn't do for a while it's like the greatest players have a way of lifting the other players up. You know what's really Doc crazy? Did it. And this is a bizarre thing to say and think, but I think it's actually true. He's really the first mega popular black basketball player. Russell did not resonate with fans. Neither did Oscar. Kareem. Wilt, Wilt was the most polarizing athlete of that whole generation. Well, that's what I was trying Kareem, to say about, nobody could connect about with. Pearl. Pearl was like that in Baltimore. But, he but wasn't Baltimore like was giant. Too, Baltimore was too small a market. He wasn't and like Clyde a super was. duper star. I mean, Clyde, Clyde was kind of like that. In Clyde New York. was the first, but that's... I'm not saying nationally. I'm not saying like kids all over yeah. America but pretending I would argue, to be a player. But I would argue that Clyde, no, I would say, because there were, I looked at this, there were, I was trying to see about who people wrote books about, because that's, people wrote mythological books about, and Clyde people wrote books about. Because Clyde, remember, the Rolls Royce, the fur coats. True. Not the guy that we're watching now is not I great I felt like that TV. was a half New York thing, though. Really? Like a net, like had same with Joe Namath. you're a Celtics guy though? No, I just feel like if he's playing for Cincinnati, I'm not sure that's happening. I don't know. He was like the best player in the league. He was pretty close to I'm the like, second I best. I thought he was the 70 finals MVP and yeah. he got robbed. But I mean, after he was like the second best player in the league at a certain time or third. After, but Doc was a mega superstar. Yes, Doc I agree. forced the merger of a league. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. And I'm, Clyde's not my favorite player, but I think you'd say Clyde and, 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 All right, that's and him. Fair. Those All two right, we'll guys. we'll agree on those two. Um, Let's go to the resume. Do it. 
because we have a lot to cover here. 16 years, 14 quality. He was in the All-Star game every year of his entire career. That's amazing. 16 to 16. Two All-Star MVPs. He's a member of the 30K, 10K club. 30,000 points, 10,000 rebounds. How many people are in that? Uh, not many. It's basically, uh, I think it's Kareem, Dirk Nowitzki, and him. Um, 30,026 points. He was the best player on two ABA champions, 74 and 76. Three runners up in Philly and then the 83 championship. Do you have him as the second best player on that 83 team or the third best player I on that team? I actually have him third. Tony's second. Andrew Tony's second. Tony was unbelievable. He was incredible. People now think, it's weird, they have misconceptions the wrong way about Doc's career, but then with that one, he actually gets the win as being the best player on that team. And it's like Moses was well, the Moses best player was of the by, league. Moses yeah. was by far Moses the best, was the player, best player for five years, probably. No, I'm sure Doc really like Doc helped a tremendous amount. Yeah. And he made some, I mean, he made he made some of the greatest plays ever. And he could light up. It was a room. great team. He was the third best player. Um, he had three ABA MVPs, one NBA MVP, two ABA playoff MVPs five top five NBA MVP finishes. He was um, all NBA first team five times. All ABA top five first team four times in a row. So nine times total. Two second teams in the NBA. One second team in the ABA in 72. So he was 12 times out of 16 years one of the 10 best players in the league. Nine times one of the best five. Uh, he was a three-time ABA scoring champ. His career stats in the ABA, 28.7 points, 12 rebounds a game, 26.4 PR, which is the highest in, in uh, ABA history. ABA playoffs, 48 games. He put up 31, 13, and five. Um, career, eighth in points total, leagues combined. In the 76 playoffs, which I mentioned earlier, it was 35, 13, and five. Um, and when he retired, it's changed a little bit now. He was sixth in games and minutes, third in points. Playing 16 years back then, it was him and Havlicek. That was basically it. 16 years back then is like 25 now. It was inconceivable. Well, yeah, no one knew how to take care of their bodies, no. really. 16 years was like, like when he was in the 84 dunk contest and he was like the quote unquote old man. Yeah. He is, a, I think, two years younger than LeBron is now. Right. Well, but he will, seemed but like he was 40. Yes. But I mean, we talk about now that LeBron's, you know, what LeBron's doing this year, a lot of people didn't see that as possible. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. 
Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Five things you need to know about Dr. J. Here's number one. Um, he really filled a crucial void in the 70s, which we just discussed a little bit, as a beloved basketball player during a time when yes. fans were like, eh, Kareem, eh, Rick Barry, eh, Cowens is fun. He'll dive on the ground. Um, it's boy, it'd be nice if David Thompson and George Gervin showed up. We don't have those guys either just, yet. Just because I'm here and I have a microphone and I think that people listening don't know, even though you talk about it. Kareem, the funny or ironic thing about Kareem not being beloved then and all that stuff is it's possible still he's the smartest person who ever played in the NBA. I know. And like literally just raw, I just raw intelligence and yeah. then probably the most well-read person to ever play other than Bill Bradley in the NBA and just probably the most fascinating internal life of anybody who played in the NBA. But the culture, in the way the culture was ready for what Doc had to bring because it was outgoing and it was inviting and it, it, it soared and it was joyous. He played in a joyous manner. The world was not- You could connect with him. You could connect with him because of all of it. And what Kareem was doing was um, felt like this personal secret of pursuit fueled by some kind of anger, search for perfection. And the world wasn't ready for this brilliant black, like the white world that covered professional sports was not ready for this brilliant black man who had a perspective on the world that didn't dovetail with theirs. Doc was apolitical. Kareem was political. Doc was as a, uh, connecting with the fans. Kareem wasn't interested in connecting with the fans. And it created a, a crazy dichotomy because they were the two biggest stars in the sport at a time. If you're going to use, like a tennis analogy would be. Yeah, Borg and McEnroe or what? No, nah, I was thinking like Doc was basically Federer. Sure. You just absolutely loved him and you marveled at him and everybody was in. They Like if, if you were at school in the mid seventies, you're like, yeah, I fucking hate Julius Irving. And people would have been like, what, why? Yeah, why? What, How could you hate Julius you Irving? Yeah. That's insane. And Kareem was like one of those frustrating tennis players who was in his own world, who the fans were in annoyance and he just wanted to be brilliant. Yes. And he didn't want anything else that went with it. And he put the goggles on and everybody was shut out and it was a really hard guy to root for. And you also felt because he was the tall, he was tall and, and he then had, he made he had advantages. He had, and, the, and the sky hook didn't look like any other shot and you couldn't really do it in your schoolyard, but you could lower the hoop and pretend you were doc. So the thing is, and this is why it's the number one thing you need to know. We really needed him. Even somebody like Maravich, who was yes. just so brilliant and so much fun to win. It was impossible to connect with him too. He was like, you know, in his own fucking world, doing weird shit, and he—he he, it was like he didn't speak. He—he—he he, he had he was missing something from a personality standpoint that was very. My dad was my coach since I was two years old, and I'm just like. And Maravich, this mechanic. I mean, Maravich was the other guy that that is hurt by not having a lot of footage. And yeah, where do you have Maravich on your on your way lower? Pyramid? I mean, he never won ever, and as you know, I care about the secret. And winning, and I think one of the things with Doc that's so interesting is he goes to the 76-77 Sixers team and is the all-time team of of me, 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 head cases, heat yeah. check guys. You get the ball, you give up the ball over half court, you're not getting it back. And it was a really hard team to play for. He's on a team with George McGinnis, yes. who is 
statistically really good, but was just not a fun player yeah, to I mean, watch. George McGinnis, this was back he was when, a black hole. This was back when people would, you could shoot three foul shots for, yeah. Uh, it, remember that? You would oh, yeah. shoot three foul shots at like a one and one. And, a, and like McGinnis would miss foul shots, like just miss tons of foul shots and would just shoot that Lot weird one-handed shot. Huge turnovers. He huge would have block. been a very, very, very unliked person during the Twitter era. People, he, people would have been railing on his. So game. he might have been good on Twitter. He might have been very good on Twitter personally. No, I'm not saying on Twitter. No, I'm but I know, I know. People ripping on his game. Well, all how, those guys, how, Spencer Haywood, him, McAdoo, people would have killed all those guys. So he, had, know, I think McAdoo was better than the other two. He guys. had McGinnis. He had World Be Free, who was with Lloyd Free then. Lloyd Free then, who was the most underrated scorer of probably that whole era, but a black hole. When did Mo Cheeks come on the team? Later. He was on You're the championship, but Mo Cheeks was on the championship. The '83 team, team yeah, right. '77 team. Doug Collins was there. Yes who was another guy who was a scorer. It was just a whole team of scorers, Daryl Dawkins. So unfortunately, it was too bad for him. Uh, second thing you need to know, Doc had five of the most iconic basketball plays of all time. I don't say that lightly. All time. I'm counting them down from five to one. Do it. Number five, the 1977 All-Star Game, which I think was in Milwaukee. Everyone's excited. He hasn't been on TV that much yet. And it's like, this is cool. Doc's any any tomahawk dunks over Kareem. Insane. He actually kind of goes out of his way to tomahawk dunk over him. And it's fucking unbelievable. And if a vague memory of watching it as a kid, it'd be exciting. I 100% watched it. I was unbelievable. 11. I was 11 in 77. Later that same year was his number four iconic play in the 77 finals. He dunks on Bill Walton on a fast break. Walton goes back. Doc kind of sees him coming. It's like, oh, this would be cool. And just fucking, and Walton was like seven two. Oh yeah, this is like prime and, apex. And before Walton. the knees were bad, yeah, apex Walton. I mean, or they were bad, but they weren't. And Doc's up yeah. here and just dunking on him. And he still that first year, he still had the afro, yeah. so it made it look like he was seven feet, but he was six six. Yeah. Uh, the third iconic play was the Rock a Baby dunk over Michael Cooper, which it, people now mistakenly think was the eighty three finals, but it was a regular season game. But. uh is the probably the best match of a great dunk with the crowd in the background. Insane, yeah. Because the Philly, the way that the spectrum was, where the the fans were really close to the court, and you could see a lot of them in the shot at all times, and they're just jumping up in joy as he's dunking over him. Uh, second iconic play was the swooping behind the basket finger roll over Kareem in the 80 finals, which I'm pretty sure wasn't, I think that game was tape delayed, which is hilarious. I don't think it was. The one where he went under the, did this thing? Where like, he goes, the best play. At least three of those hoop. games are taped delayed. Well, I remember where I was. Maybe so, that one was. So that one, I remember my parents made me go to dinner at some friend's country club when that game was happening. And they never made, and I, I left the table and found my way into like the men's locker room. And I was the only one. And I got to turn on a TV and I sat there and watched that in real time. So if it was, oh, so if, maybe. It, if it was tape delayed, then I watched the well, tape delay been, not knowing. It might've been in LA and they might've just, yeah, maybe it, it maybe live. it was tape delayed, but I don't know. But I remember I remember where I was standing because I remember him making that play when he he went under and then flipped it around. And I remember running to get my dad to try to come watch the like, just dad, you're not gonna believe what I just saw. Like the craziest right. thing I ever saw in my life. His arms I grew. freaked out. I mean, I remember freaking. I was like a junior in high school or something, and I lost my mind. So, think about how nuts it is that they tape delayed some of those finals games. You had Doctor J, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. And rookie Magic Johnson all in the same series. And they're tape delaying them three hours to show at 1130. The number one uh, iconic play was the foul line dunk during the 76 dunk contest, which 
I think a lot of people probably saw after the fact. I can't imagine that many people were watching I didn't the see ABA that in real time. Test. I saw that after the fact. I would flip those two, by the way. The rock baby. I, mean, the, uh, I, I would flip the those uh, two. swooping under the finger. The swooping under the thing is like I think still like one of the greatest plays in the history of the NBA in an import because of its import in the finals against Kareem. And it was like as you say, Doc wasn't the best player on that team. Well, he, he was the best this, player in the eighty team. But he, he was, that team, he was. It was a signature. It was the signature play. Can I read my defense of the? Uh, yeah, 90, of this course. is what I wrote about the dunk yes. contest. It had the most exhilarating basketball moment that didn't actually happen in a game. Nobody had seen a dunk contest before. So once the dunk started coming, the fans were like 13-year-old boys looking at porn for the first time, overwhelmed by the <laughs> sight of everything. You had the decade's most memorable player facing off against a precocious upstart, David Thompson, um, who fired up the crowd with a superb double pump and finished with an incomprehensible 360. David Insane. Thompson, 360, people were like, what was that? He stayed in twirl in the right. air. He twirled the whole way around. Uh, so he was like the warm-up band. I compared it to Springsteen opening up for the Stones in 75. And then Doc measuring his steps from one basket to the other, which is the best part of this because the oh, crowd's like, incredible. the crowd's shuffling in anticipation. They're wondering what the hell is going on. And then they're they're realizing like, is he, he going to dunk from the foul line? And then the dunk itself, Irving loping toward the basket, exploding from the foul line, his oversized hand making the basketball look like a golf ball, carrying, tomahawking the ball through the basket. Everyone loses their collective shit. The dunk stands alone for originality, pent-up drama, sheer significance, lasting impact. The funny thing is, he didn't do it last. He did another dunk after that. It was like the, the I, worst I miscalculation. I don't remember that at all. How about finishing with the dunk from the foul line? Um, I think the legend of that dunk transcends all the other stuff. I think you're right, though, from a, how many people saw it when it happened. It's probably the end of the basket. The under we'll the basket 1A, was, 1B. Yeah, okay, that's good. Uh, number third. No one had ever seen a play like that under the basket. Like now, it's so, this is one of those things about time. So in 1980, when Doc did that, the idea of a guy leaving his feet really in that kind of a situation, without, think about the way they were coached. Like, you weren't supposed to leave your feet without knowing what well, you're going to do. Well, then Kareem's coming over right. too. You weren't supposed to leave your feet without knowing what you're going to do with the ball. Like, yeah. it was all these, the, 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 the idea now at players are totally, um, they're free or whether they are or not, they're going to do things the way that they want to. But you got to go back to this idea that the league was regimented in certain ways. There were there was a way that you were going to play the game and Doc was just playing a different way. So that that move, when he just takes off, and like nobody knows what's going to happen, and then he swoops under and flips that thing. It it announced to the whole world of anyone who watched basketball that the game was just different from the game right. you watched before. That's fair. Third thing you need to know: Doc created the player empowerment era. Seems so. I love first that. of all, he tried to jump to the Hawks in 1972, and we're going to get to all the what ifs that come with that later. Um, a lot of ABA players try to jump back and forth during that era. That's some NBA guys went to the ABA too. In 76 though, he forced the Nets to trade him after the merger before the season started. Yes. And he's basically like, the only reason this merger happened is because me rip up my contract. I want a new one. The Nets owners, Roy Bow was like, Roy no, Bo, uh. Roy Bow's like, no, thanks. Um, Doc's like, well, trade me. Roy Bo puts him on the block, sells Dr. J to the Sixers for $3 million 
and then Doc gets three and a half million for six years. To me, that's that or Kareem forcing a trade from the Bucks to the Lakers. That's like those are the two guys who start. What was the deal? What did he get? He got a, he got a raise three and a half million for six years. So well, he almost I thought the number six. I thought he was getting six million for some reason. Why did he put? I thought it was. I'm it, sure it, I know when you, you know. I thought the I sale. Oh, so you throw in the sale. He got $6 million. Somehow, but he didn't right? get three of it. The Roy Bow got three of it just for selling oh, him. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's awesome. So, but he did put six on his uniform for that reason. That I he think was he the did. $6 million Oh, yeah. Man. Well, that was also during the right. $6 million. That was the $6 million, man. million yeah. man was this big thing on television then. Well, it was so sad when he, for a New Yorker, a Long Island kid, that he left the Nets. And the Nets were then going- Save that because there's a, I have a whole thing about that. Okay. Fourth thing you need to know, Doc's first five Philly seasons, much rockier than everyone remembers. He landed on the wrong team, as we remembered. Um, the coaching and the defense in the NBA was just better than the ABA, where teams were like, okay, cool, that guy is not really reliable from 20. We're just going to lay off him, sink into the lane, make it impossible for him to dunk. There was a ton of good small forwards at the time. Walter Davis, Bernard King, Dantley, Dandridge, Havlicek, Barry, Wilkes, Keenan, Bobby Jones, Bird, Dominique. It just keeps going. Um, he lost five straight playoff series in his NBA prime in which Bobby Gross in 77 basically does a, does a draw with him, the guy in the Blazers. Yeah. He gets outplayed by Bobby Dandridge in 78. You're saying he loses the head-to-heads. He lost the head-to-heads. He got outplayed by Bobby Dandridge in 78. Larry Keenan does played him to a draw in 79. Jamal played him to a draw in 1980 in the finals. You mean stats-wise, he played him to Just a draw? Just everything. And then Larry Bird beat the really well, beat sure. him in 81. So there was also a thing where his knees, he was having a lot of issues with sore knees. And in March 79, SI ran a story called, Hey, What's Up With The Doc, which I mailed to you. Yes. Which has excerpts like, he is merely Julius Irving, a 29-year-old, six foot six, sore kneed, struggling forward, searching to find his place on a mediocre second place well, team. Well, people wanted wow. to write that story. Also. This was like but a hatchet job to of the write doc. that story. Oh, I know. Of like, well, the, it was still a, listen. It was still a residue of this idea that the NBA was the real thing, and the, and the NBA, NBA was wasn't. like garbage. Yeah, and it was a residue of that. And I, you know, like you, I love any kind of time that a guy like Julius could say, fuck you, and then go win the title. It's like, I'm washed up. Well, I'm going to go win an NBA title. How washed up am I now? Right. There's a quote in here from Al Bianchi, his former Virginia right. coach. Julius to take off and soar. I mean, really soar. And that's the sad part of seeing him now. The doc can't fly no more. And then an unnamed NBA coach said, I don't know if it's the big contract playing discuss concern of his longevity or just that he's burned out and can't do it nightly anymore. But Dr. J is not the player we once knew. The electricity isn't there. Uh, the guy has been on vacation for three years. Somebody else has been masquerading as number six. He's played to 40% tops of the ability to show what the NBA. What fascinated me about that article or the other one you sent is- It's a hatchet job. All the, but then there are these Julius quotes where he kind of takes himself to task in a way that like no player now would. Right. Where Julius is like, well, I was trying to do too much or I didn't understand I shouldn't go out on the wing and just shoot seven jumpers because I was- He like- he does a really honest accounting of why he thought the transition was hard. And maybe like he should have been more selfish. And yeah. Like you read that piece and you're like, oh, he actually understands the secret. He's trying to he be a really good teammate. He does understand the secret. He's trying he to did. get everybody else his points well, and that, he should just be selfish. That's what I was trying to say about the fact that they did go to the playoffs four years and he did win a championship. Yeah. Because like, you think about, so so let's say he was the third best player on that team. Well, you're talking late in his career, that 83 Sixers team. But even so, think about the way, you'd like to talk about Kyrie. I mean, think about the way 
Doc could have, as the third best player, but the most famous and the legend, think about how he could have made sure they didn't win a championship. Or been threatened by Moses. And yeah. just decided, no, 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 it's my team. Give me the basketball. Right. And or so he like, could have blocked the trade. He could have done a million, but, but even in the games, in the situation, he could have done a million things to change the way that went out of ego. Yeah. And he didn't. The fifth thing you need to know, there's a farewell tour for Dr. J. And it was long and there were gifts at every stop and people really loved this guy and they had only known him, you know, he'd been in the NBA for uh, 11 seasons, but he was incredibly popular. And I, I think Havlicek had this a little bit. I think it was Boston. I'm not sure if it was in the other cities as much, but this was the first guy who could really have a farewell tour of the NBA where every city felt some sort of connection to him. And uh, unfortunately, it led to Kareem's farewell tour two years later. We all had to go through the motions, <laughs> pretend we were going to miss him. By oh, the way, I loved, I loved Kareem. Uh, Even we're though really, really going to miss you, Kareem. From uh, the moment Magic gave him that hug, I felt he was a new guy and I loved him. What's age the best for Doc, other than the stuff we mentioned? We did not mention him as an in-game dunker. We did mention a couple of his dunks, but this is a really special group for me. It's basically Dr. J, Dominique, Michael Jordan, Sean Kemp, Vince Carter, Blake Griffin, Zion, maybe two or three others that I'm probably forgetting. I but, mean, but Dawkins the, was not a great player, but Dawkins was an unbelievable in-game dunker. I'm I'm not talking about dunks. I am talking about there's somebody I near know, the basket. Some, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I guess Dawkins should be on there. There's somebody near the basket. Instead of just dunking, I'm going to go out of my way to dunk on this guy. And this was my favorite thing about Dominique. He was like, oh, there's a live body I can dunk on. And Doc was the first guy. I don't even think Connie Hawkins was like an I'm going to dunk on you guy. I don't know. Like, because we never got, I mean, yeah, we, we just never, never got to see him play. Uh, really. Another one on what stage the best. Docs. Did you ever get dunked on? Have you ever gotten really dunked on? I don't think I really, I was always smart enough to get the fuck I, out. My first intramural game in college. I got really dunked on and it was such a rude awakening. I got hammer dunked on right in my face. Like the guy, the guy's waist was literally like in my face and he just threw it down and the ball like bounced off my head. And that's when you knew you were a screenwriter? Yeah. Being on the receiving end of that is just awful. I just want to say. Another, what's say the best, Doc's 1974, where he became basketball's most exciting player, legitimate box office draw, won MVP, playoffs MVP. Got an endorsement deal with Dr. Pepper. Oh, yeah. Graced the cover <laughs> of Sports Illustrated March 15th. It was him dunking with the headline, What's up, Doc J? Nice. <laughs> I love mid-70s publications. Yes. Um, another would say the best. Never gets credit for being the NBA's first businessman. Somehow Magic Johnson has just stolen this as like, no NBA player ever thought to do this before me. And it's like, there's a 1981 Sports Illustrated story, which you can go read. That's built around, part of it's built around Doc is wants to be more than a basketball player. And it says, they're, they're doing an interview with him. It says, the president of the Irving Group, while sitting in a corner of the holding company's newest property, the doctor's shoe salon, an elegant high fashion boutique near Philadelphia's exclusive side hill. So he really was the first guy who was saying to himself, I'm going to use all this capital I built here to try to move over here. And I think he's seems like he's been reasonably successful. Uh, the last thing is they created an illegal defense rule in the before the 81-82 season to give people like Doc, specifically Doc, more space to operate in the paint. And if you look at the stats from that year, the stats all go up because they did that. 
And uh, and it was actually a smart move. How about how about the phrase? Watch out, folks! The doctor is operating. Is that, yeah, oh is, yeah. Is that has that lasted? Is that yeah? That, I yeah. mean, that was a big thing. They would yeah. put him in the scrubs. They would. The doctor. There's a doc poster with operating. him in the scrubs. Because no, you even just said so he could operate in the lane, and it's like that oh, yeah, was literally the big, that was the big tagline. Add a little excitement to your sports watching experience by betting on all the action on FanDuel Sportsbook this football season. Their app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay, exclusive always on promotions to get more action out of every game day for you. And if you win, they even get your winning safely in a little as little as 24 hours. Right now, FanDuel letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game. FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win your first bet. No strings attached. Place any bet you want. If you win, keep the cash. If you lose you'll get your entire bet up to $1,000 back in site credit. If you like the Bears, if you think there's too many people on the Vikings, Bears plus three, go for it. If you've never tried FanDuel Sportsbook, what are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started and be sure to sign up with promo code BSBOOK so they know I sent you. That is FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code BSBOOK. Must be 21 plus present in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, or Tennessee. First online real money wager only. Site credit non-withdrawable expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. Gambling problem. Colorado, 800-522-4700. Iowa, 800-BETS-OFF. Indiana, 800-9-WITH-IT. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, 800-GAMBLER. Tennessee, 800-889-979. Or West Virginia, 1800-GAMBLER.net. All right, what stage is the worst? Well... This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. We're taping this on the same day David Fisdale got fired. So we need to get your Knicks involved. So the ABA merger happens. The Nets are kind of screwed because it's actually going to cost them money to go into the league. They have a territorial penalty. They have to pay the Knicks. 480000 per year for 10 years. $4.8 million total just to be able to play in the NBA. And they're barely making it anyway. So they make an intriguing offer to the Knicks. Waive the penalty. You can have Dr. J. What do the Knicks say? The I Knicks say- I can't even. You got me sitting here like Fredo Corleone, just like leaning back. <laughs> it's so sad. I can't even get to the mic. To The Knicks say, nah, we're good. We just got Spencer Haywood. Uh, I already mentioned Spencer Haywood on the podcast. I know. The Knicks are like- we're good. So then they Philly to, buys him for three million bucks. They used to say about Spencer Haywood that if you put a quarter on the top of the uh, top of the backboard, you know he could get up there and make change. But they forgot you don't have to make change. They may have to just be able to put the ball in the hoop. <laughs> right, right, right. The problem it wasn't the jumping ability. <laughs> right, right, right. Just scoring the basketball. He somehow made the Hall of Fame, and I still don't understand it. The uh, there's some good news about that. Nick's turning that down though. Well, what's that? That the Nets so, then got Bubbles Hawkins on their team? The Nets settled That's the territorial fee in 78. They swapped the fourth pick in the draft 
Michael Ray Richardson. And their number the one saddest. in 1979, Larry Demick. For the 13th pick in 1978, Winford Boynes. And that led to two very entertaining Michael Ray Richardson years for you. I loved him so much. One terrible year, but then you sign Bernard King and give up Michael Ray Richardson. Now you get two and a half really good Bernard King years. So it's not all bad. If people it's don't not know, as good go, as go find J. articles about Michael Ray Richardson and Ray Williams together. One of the greatest, one of the great what ifs of the NBA is if those two guys could have kept it together. If, if and if cocaine didn't if cocaine, wasn't existed. If cocaine didn't exist, yes. Uh, another would say the worst. He gets in a fight with Larry Bird, a game that I went to. Oh yeah, that's a that's a pathetic fight. Bird's Bird's forty two points. Doc has six. It was the clear passing of the torch moment, and they had a great rivalry the first few years. This was the first game where Bird was just clearly better than him and Doc was at a different point in his career. And Bird starts talking shit to him. I was sitting midcourt with my dad. I love that. And all, it's just getting testier and testier. Doc kind of knocks him over with an elbow and they, they kind of get into it. They meet at midcourt. All of a sudden, they're throwing punches. Moses comes behind, holds Bird from behind, and Doc gets three in there. Basically a sucker punch from the Doc. Didn't like it. Still a little mad it's about funny. it. Funny, I loved it. I'm still like one percent mad. It. I remember it as they being were never sort of the same fight. They oh, were never the two the, guys were never the same. They were never the same. They were doing a video game together, the whole thing. They, I think they did not make up for a while. Another what's age the worst? The Nets when they merged into the ABA. I've I've never understood this. Remember the whole thing about it, St. Louis. Oh yeah, it's they incredible. didn't get to have a team, but they got one seventh of oh, the TV well, rights yeah, for imperpetuity. Didn't the NBA try to buy it back like ten years ago? They eight finally years got ago? it back. Yeah, but those they, guys made. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Hundreds. Yeah. They sold the they sold the team for two point two million that wasn't gonna exist anyway and got this TV rate package. Meanwhile, the Nets had Dr. J, it was the whole reason for the merger. They have to pay the next five billion dollars. They have to sell Dr. J just to survive. Um uh, somehow St. Louis got a deal that was seven hundred times better than the Nets who had Dr. J. Yeah, that's explain that to me. Then the last one that's age the worst. We're just gonna skip over this, but um we do have to mention the Samantha Stevenson covering the Sixers, young female sports writer, um, impregnated by Doc. And then ended up, we found out because the, the tennis daughter player, Alex, great, Alexander Stevenson was Doc's illegitimate a, daughter. A great tennis a great and tennis player. To this day, one of the weird stories of all time. Next category. <laughs> too early, too late, just right. Which was he? I say all three. I think he was too early. I also think he was too late in a way because he just would have gone in the NBA and more people would have seen him. And I think he was just right because the way it worked out led to the myth of Dr. J, which was actually weirdly good for him from a legacy standpoint. This is my favorite one to think about with Julius because most of the time it's fairly clear. Be if he could have come into the league after Magic and Bird saved it when everybody was focused on it, you like know, if he's in the dominant spot. Yeah, the young, exactly. The young, you know, the young Julius at his height of capability would have come to the league then. I think he would have, his game still would have worked. Uh, Cause you know, they weren't, people weren't so sophisticated about a stop it. It wasn't yet a three point shooting league. I think he would have, I think he was a hair too early. I'm going to go hair too early. I like how it worked out, but I think he was too early. But I'm glad it worked out the way it did. Yeah. I like the myth of Dr. J. Nerd Corner. How many threes total did he make in his whole career? 47. 134. All right. Yeah, there you go. He was a decent bank shooter. He had a decent bank shot, I remember. 
Was he a one of one? The answer is yes. Yes. Unintentional comedy wrinkle. Just a little on Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. Um, Doc played Moses Guthrie, the star of the Pittsburgh Pisces, who have their season turned around by a young water boy and a wacky astrologist. Would you watch this, Kyle? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wrote down some notes when I did this in my book. Doc's acting made Keanu Reeves look like Philip Seymour Hoffman. That was one <laughs> note I wrote. Um the basketball scenes are so poorly edited that in one scene, Driftwood, his teammate, takes a jumper and they cut to it going in, but he's under the basket. I hated Iconic. When I watched it right when it came out, but I, it bothered me. The basketball drove me crazy. There's, they play Kareem's Lakers in the last scene and Kareem disappears for the entire fourth quarter. I think he just stormed out. I don't know what happened. He's just gone in the, in the last of it. Uh, so that was really funny. That movie is is a seventies document, and then him as a studio analyst. I I have him all time legendary bad. He brought in as a studio guy. I'm gonna say ninety seven, ninety eight, and he was just such a nice guy. He was so stiff. He had nothing really to say. I had him on a podcast. I'm gonna say five six years. I ago. I wrote you when it was on. I loved him on your podcast. And he was great. But I'll tell you, it took about fifteen twenty minutes. For him to kind of to, to dude, loosen dude, up, I was. I just want to tell you something. And then it happened. I was getting on a subway. Now, I don't. I mean, you know, we both listen to so many podcasts. You don't remember any of this. I was getting on a subway, and I looked at the thing, and you had Doc, and I put it on, and I walked up the stairs and didn't take the subway, and I just walked and walked listening because I was like, I can't let this get fucked up. I got to hear it, <laughs> right? And I just walked and listened to you and Doc. For my, I like walked the whole city basically listening to you guys. Well, it, was it made me it was just such a big deal to me to actually get to hear him. Talk about this stuff because right. he he didn't really and your enthusiasm for him unlocked something in him, and he was it took it took twenty minutes, but didn't it was you got there though? But I, remember, I bet you sense. we could find a text where I wrote you and I said like you got there, like you got him there. It was yeah, so good. I felt like I got him, and it made sense why he wasn't good on TV because it took me twenty minutes to get him there, and then the doc I had the last half hour of that pod would have been great on TV. Did you get emotional when he walked in the room? No, but I had met him before and the the stunning thing with him, and I'm sure it's the same with Giannis and Kawhi who I haven't actually met and shook hands with, but when you shake his hand, he's just, well, this is what his I, hand's going up to like your forearm. So this it's, a, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. You're like, how are we both human beings? So like, like you, um, I, you know, I know, I, I know a number of current NBA players and it's really fun to talk to them and hang out with them. But anyone who's younger than you, you don't get, you know, it's not an emotional thing. It's like, are they, you like them or they're great or you really admire what they do, but it doesn't trip that wire in you of the emotions that Larry would trip in you or whoever yeah. was when you were a kid. But I was, I have this one great doc thing, which was, I was like one of, I was 10 years old and I was at, uh, I was at my school that I went to my, my whole life. My, my ten, you know, uh, I was in, let's say sixth grade. And Julius was decide, was in New York and he, he sent his kids to the same school. They were Ugh. younger. He was never around. Obviously he was playing, uh, he was an involved dad. Like you would always hear that even as a kid, like, oh. But once I was somewhere in a class and someone came into the class and passed me a note that Julius Irving was like across the campus on the field watching someone play sports. And like I said, I got to go to the bathroom. Like I lied. I I get out and I ran across the thing, 
And I just about got to him and the principal of the school stops me. And he's like, I remember this like it was yesterday. And he's like, you can't go bother Mr. Irving. And I remember looking at this guy and I, I said, you have no idea what this means to me. I have to, you can't, I won't let you stop me. And he's like, no, 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 Brian, you have to go back to class. And I started crying, but angry tears. <laughs> and I had anger tears because it's 10, you don't really, I had anger tears. And I, and I remember looking at this guy going, no, I'm going to shake that man's hand. And I was like, that's Dr. J. And I had his poster up. And the guy looked at me and he goes, okay. And he let me go. And I go running over and there he is. And I, I don't know what the hell to say. It's like, suddenly I'm standing. Yeah. And obviously they didn't want all the kids going up to him, but somehow I was the only one who got through. I was just determined. And when he, he looked at me and I guess he saw the tear, he saw the whole thing. He must've picked up on it. And he was like, Hey, I'm, I'm Julius. And I was like, and I got to shake his hand. And like you say, imagine I was 10, his yeah. hand like covered up to your shoulder. my shoulder basically. Yeah. But it was just, it was staggeringly cool to get to meet him. It was so heavy and emotional. And I think it was really important to have a guy during that era who was that awesome all the time with everybody. Yes. He's really, when they talk about like who the classiest athletes were of all time, he's always mentioned and there's a reason for it because he's fucking classy. Handled his business. Really nice guy. Um, nice all the time. Nice to everybody. During an era when athletes weren't totally thinking that way yet. You know, I think. Well, you just said he was a business person. Yeah. I mean, I he was thinking he was a about, nice guy. Yes, but he was also, you're, you're right. He wasn't going to get, I don't know, I think about how hard it was. It's always hard to make it as impossible. But I think about Roosevelt, Long Island, where he came from. Like, I know where that is. Like, I know how hard that was. Yeah. I, I grew up in a different world, but 20 minutes away from there, you know, in a privileged, totally different upbringing. But I know what those courts were. I knew where he grew up. Like, I understand that whole thing. To get from there to being the most famous athlete in the world, you know how hard that is? Well, and then to go- And he was the most famous athlete in the world. The random detour to- uh, Other than Ali. I guess Ali at the time. Ali was then, number one. Ali and Pele. And, but in America, he was after, the, after Ali in America and in the world probably after Pele. He's- And Ali. Long Island goes to the Nets, but does this brief detour at UMass. Yes. So you're and claiming him? You can't no. claim him. You can't claim him for about the it. couple of years that you I feel like we made him. Feel, I'm from Long Island. You can't. I feel like we made him. Uh, Bob Ryan saw him at UMass and has great stories about like- Did he know? He he, he was like, yeah, what is this? Oh, Who, that's awesome. What is happening? Um, defining playoff moment, 76 ABA finals. We mentioned HBO's ABA documentary does a really good job with this part because it's like they know the league's folding. The two teams are loaded. Denver was really good. They had Dan Issel, Dan Issel and Thompson yeah. and Bobby Jones and a whole bunch of people. Do you remember the first time you saw Issel take the thing out? Oh my God. He was like I, a vampire. The first time I saw him, yeah. I was on the baseline watching a game as a kid and something happened and he took it out for one second. And it was just stunningly shocking. For people who don't know, Dan Issel had four fake teeth in the middle. Right in the he middle. He would take it out. He looked like Dracula. He really did. And then- uh the other defining playoff moment, other than winning the title, obviously, but when they beat Boston in a game seven and 82, I went to that game and we just assumed we were going to win. We came back from 3-1 in 81, in 82, down 3-1, win game five, win game six. Oh yeah, we're going to win game seven. There's people dressed up like ghosts walking around, ghosts, Celtics pass. Tony comes out and just destroys us. He just absolutely murders us. And near the end, the crowd's chanting, beat LA, beat LA. That's where the beat LA chant started. And Julius was on the bench like this and just them winning a game seven in Boston. It was like inconceivable. I don't, nobody had ever done that up until that point in the history of the NBA. Who was the other, fo was it, was, who was the other forward? 
For what? On that team with, with Julius. It was Caldwell Jones. Right. Bobby Jones. Doc. Uh, Mo Cheeks. And Andrew Tony. Yeah. yeah. Market corrector or market corrected? So this is like Sam Jackson, market corrected, Lawrence Fishburne. Um, nobody market corrected Dr. J, but I think Jordan market corrected the beloved high-flying athlete that everybody loves that sells a lot of stuff. I think he took a little of his corner, but I also feel like Doc's the 1.0 version of it. So I don't feel like that's a full market correction. Biggest what if sliding doors moment. I got two. We talked about what if the Knicks bought the Doc. Knicks. The whole 70s are different. It's actually an incredible what if because- Maybe I'm never sad enough to become a writer. If the Doc, I'll probably become a lawyer. You know what I mean? The Knicks win. Everything's good. I probably don't even well, I don't want to spend time you? alone, sad, <laughs> and become a writer, you know? Yeah, man. I'm just a happy a, kid. Like I'm a happy go lucky kid. We're winning. It's great. You're instead like of just in mis instead of just in hell. Going, you're like a hedge fund trader. Right, you're a diehard yeah. Republican. Exactly. It all goes wrong. It all goes a different way. Did I ever tell you my theory about how 1977 New York is the greatest year any city's ever had? Because the Yankees movies. Yeah. Disco. Oh, yeah. Birth of punk rock. The whole porn industry is getting going. Saturday Night Live. Peak Saturday Night Live. But, but also, Broadway. Also, also, wasn't that Son of Sam? Son of Sam. The Blackout. Yeah, I'm not, can't, I'm not can't give it to no, you. No, I'm just saying, like, what was a more interesting <laughs> well, year a in, crazy, a, in a yes, city was, ever than 77? Yes, it was crazy. And you could year. have had Dr. J involved yes. in this, too. It's like the guy who brought an NBA title back. Uh, the other what if, this is amazing. Before the 72-73 season, when he was playing in Virginia, before he went to the Nets, he signed with Atlanta, the Hawks, jumped to the NBA, uh, NBA, played two exhibition games with Pete Maravich on the Hawks. The ABA legally blocked the move, forced him to go to Virginia, and eventually the Nets get him. The problem was Milwaukee held his draft rights. And when Atlanta said, fuck you, we're just getting him. So now you had two professional teams suing him. This is the 70s were crazy. Um, Everything was held up for a year, and then Roy Bow um, brought him to New York. So if he goes to Atlanta, Dr. J and Pistol together. But, but that's never really happened. Like, I'm just saying not, if it, yeah, happens, it happened, yes. Um, if he had gone to Milwaukee, which I think was conceivable, because guys yeah, jumped right. yeah, all the time. that was conceivable, sure. And they had the draft rights. He would have joined Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and they both would have been under 26. And Kareem wouldn't have left, you think? They just would have been two of the best 20 players of all time in the same team in yeah. 1973. Feels notable. Um, and if and if he leaves... And they would have actually been able to play together. They would have shared the ball. And if he leaves, the ABA dies in 1974. Probably after that season. I don't think it makes it after that. So those are some good what-ifs. Um, Post-retirement, was he Barkley'd or Hondo'd? I actually feel like he was... Um, I feel like he was Hondoed. I think he's kept a pretty low profile since he retired. He's, he's not on TV. A cultural, he's cultural icon, which Hondo is not. No, but Hondo, I mean, other than in Boston, is not a cultural he's not icon. Out selling the, I, I agree. He no, he retired gracefully. Yeah, he's had a graceful retirement, but he is still a cultural icon. Meaning, you could say to a lot of high school basketball fans, John Havlicek and Julius Irving, and. Many, many more of them will know who Doc was. Then. All right, so we'll say Barkley. Overrated, underrated, properly rated, absolutely underrated. 
Final underrated. pyramid ranking 19. Yeah, he's he's underrated now because people are going to go through the stats and be like, ah, he only averaged 24 and 8. Oh, I looked at the YouTube clips. He couldn't shoot from 20. He never would have made threes. It's like Doc was not a, not overrated. Trust Where me. Where would he be in the NBA right now? Like, who would be better than him? And it's probably, you know, his best year, if he's in the NBA right now, well, where, so I think, where is he between? Which players is he between? I think. On your power rankings. So um, are we talking ABA Doc? Yeah. Early Doc? Yeah, the best. The, the pick what, you know, when you think he was at his very best. The way the game's played now, no big guys. He's probably getting the basket whenever he wants. So is he the third best player in the NBA right now? He's He's one of the best seven. Right. He's, it's like Giannis he's a 30 million, He's a 30 million a year guy. And I think he's beloved too. I don't think he, I don't think he's one of those guys that would have been like, I'm on social media, fear my thoughts. Well, it is interesting you bring up Giannis. Like obviously Giannis. I think he would have been more playing, like Giannis, like just kind of under the radar, just doing his thing, playing hard every day. Right? Yeah. I'm just thinking about Luca and how. Well, Luca's bird. Right. I mean, Luca's like bird 2.0 potentially. Yeah, as it's much as that frames me to say that, but no, I mean he's as good as a human being can I mean, be. When Bird was twenty years old, he was a garbage man. Right, he was. He dropped track. out of Indiana and became a garbage yes, man. My son talks about this all the time. Yeah. twenty years old, it's crazy. He didn't come into the NBA until he was twenty-four. Right. When I was twenty years old, I, I, I couldn't even remember to put gas in my car. But this is the amazing thing that happens because I know that people are listening now, people in college who are listening to this, and. You'll see in 25 years, your kids and they're, and like the younger people will be like, LeBron's not as good as, you know, Griffin, whatever, like whoever the top guy right. is, everyone will be like, and you'll be looking at them going, well, you didn't see LeBron James. Yeah, you weren't there. You just didn't see LeBron James play basketball. You don't understand. And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, but whatever guy is doing 360 flips the other way, you know, upside down. And, and you're like, no, it, it wouldn't have mattered if LeBron, LeBron grew up now he would be doing those things. And that's what I think about Doc at any rate. Like, I think Doc would be one of the very best players. In well, the if he was coming up now with the athletic ability he had and the physical gifts he had. And the brain he had. But he would be coming up through AAU. Somebody would have taught that's him how to put, shoot correctly. Kept his elbow in and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, he, he would have been a, probably better. But you made a key point about everybody kind of had to teach themselves how to yes, play basketball. They did. And that was why how you ended up with Jamal Jamal Wilkes, Wilkes with the side Shooting shot. like this. Yeah, nobody knew, whereas now there are 4,000 shooting coaches. I mean, you get, go on Instagram, you, everyone can learn the various ways Everybody has the same shot. So when Markel Fultz has, when his shot gets messed up and he's got, all of a sudden his elbow's out and we're all making fun of him because it's like, oh my God, look at that guy's well, shot. Well, like I said, the only difference now is are you JJ where you shoot at the apex or are you Steph where you shoot on the way up? That's the big difference now, right? JJ shoots at the apex of his yeah. jump and he's one of you know of the best shooters. Clay does also and Steph shoots, but Steph shoots on the way up, not at the apex. And if you go back and you watch some of these games from the late 70s, early 80s, where there's no three-point line for a couple of years, and then there is a three-point line. Nobody's even using it. Chris Ford. And everybody- Chris, Chris Ford it. with the push shot. Yeah. And everything's clustered in the paint, and Doc's trying to do Doc stuff, and there's eight guys in there. Yeah. Go watch the 81 game seven, where the every, the game's just being played eight feet in front of but, the rim. So what guys, will, what guys who care about the metrics will say as well, but in the game now where it's only layups or three-pointers- Doc wouldn't be, you know, Doc's 12 footer or guys from, but I believe is that a guy like Julius Irving, if what the game required was him to shoot 
38% or 40% from three, he would have found a way to do it. And the influence cannot be understated. In this style, in culture, in basketball. It's still my favorite Afro of all time, too. The fa my favorite Afro Second. Chin, chin combo Ar thing. No, Gilmore was number one. No, but oh, it, come on, artist is number one. Artist wasn't cool. You though. should post on Twitter the picture of the both and let people. Artist was the coolest, the strongest man. At... Artist Gilmore was the strongest man in in professional sports at that time until Morris Lucas took him down. <laughs> but he was the strong. Yeah, but late that was later, right? Yeah, he was the strongest person. He was the coolest. Imagine being seven feet and then rocking that. Afro he's trying to even be look. taller. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. But I, I think they're one and two. Will you give me that? Those guys are one and two. <sighs> sure. Okay, they're one and two. I liked when Doc had the chin thing. Me too. There's a lot of stuff that he was at the forefront of. But it does seem like ABA Doc seemed like he was 6'10", and NBA Doc seems like he's 6'6", which I really pulled that up. <laughs> well, the, the how you said the knees. I mean, you know, he was playing He was playing above the rim. When you were seeing him in Nassau, how many people are there? Like 5,000? Not full. Yeah. I, I don't know what the numbers, you know, I don't want to say some number that's not true, but if they played Kentucky, it would sell out. You know what I mean? If they yeah. played Kentucky or they played Virginia, like some team that mattered... They would get a lot of people. It's just so crazy. But to there think. were definitely nights that it wasn't. The Islanders mattered. I had an uncle who would take me to Islanders games. The Islanders mattered way more. Oh, yeah. Hockey, than, just in general. Just at the, I mean, basketball mattered more on Long Island in general, but we were all Knicks fans. So the Islanders mattered just way more for some reason than, well, they were better, right? You didn't have Mike Bossy on the Nets. It's so weird to think that the single most exciting basketball player could not be seen really at all for most of his career. And that's where we'll leave it. Brian Koppelman, an absolute pleasure. Thank you for doing this. Bill Simmons, what a great day we've had today. It was unbelievable. Godfather 2 and the doc. Uh, thanks. That oh was the God. Book of Basketball 2.0. Bye. That was the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast. The Pyramid Pod, Julius Irving. Thanks for listening. We will catch you on the next one.